0: Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Today because I would like to concentrate, first of all, concerning this first verse of scripture that I read to you, that uh, the Bible says for if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son much more being reconciled we shall be saved by His life we shall be saved by His, by His life if you'll allow me just a little bit this morning there is something in being said concerning being saved by His life or if you would literally interpret it and go back to the book of beginnings in the New Testament of Genesis and read where God created and he formed man in his image and after his likeness. And that he was formed of that dust of the earth from which a mist came up and landed on there. And the Bible says and speaks to us that uh, he breathed in him uh, the breath of life. And that man became a living soul. That there was n- virtually nothing uh, living about him until that breath of life was breathed into the nostril of of man and with that being said many times life itself or the soul or the spirit and breath many times have this interchanging that takes place in Scripture whenever you read of a soul you could read of life or whenever you read of life you could read of the breath of life or the breath itself with that being said this morning there is something that God has kept intact and reserved for himself concerning the life Of men and women no doubt because he is the giver of life uh, that he breathed into our bodies and we became a living soul we understand that in this life that we experience a lot of trials and hardships and struggles and uh, at times it is overbearing but New Testament scripture declares to us that we are not to fear our adversary or fear the oppression that may come upon us basically said don't fear the one that can destroy your body but destroy the one that can, that, that can destroy both your body and your soul. The enemy cannot take your life from you. That is only reserved into the authority and the power of God. Yeah. He's the only one that can extract life from you, or your soul, or your spirit, or might I say your breath from you. He is the only one. If there's ever an example in Scripture concerning how things can get really bad, but you can still have life, it would be our dear friend Job that we oftentimes go to in the Scripture. As a matter of fact, Ezekiel, and this, all these Scriptures won't be before for you because I, 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 the Lord just kind of switched a few things up on me, all right? But uh, in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 14 and verse 14, Ezekiel, he's searching in his memory for some of the most outstanding and influential examples of righteousness, of righteous men and righteous people. And among those, the Bible says in Ezekiel fourteen fourteen, he says, though these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, they should deliver but their souls by their righteousness, saith the Lord. So e- Ezekiel's in a search of some outstanding, influential examples, and he chose three men, namely Noah, and Daniel and Job basically saying that the period of time in which he was living was so horrid, it was just so terrible, and there was such a judgment upon the people of God that even if these three men, Daniel and Job and Noah were alive, they, by their own righteousness that they had, would not be able to save the generation around them, but it would be for the saving of their own souls. And so when we look at that, we begin to consider what made these men righteous. What was it that that stamped them as having righteousness before God? And what was the common denominator of Daniel and and Job and Noah? And when we begin to look at Noah, we understand his day wasn't the best of days. As a matter of fact, insomuch that New Testament Scripture tells us that whenever it comes close to the coming again of the Lord, that they will be giving in marriage and drinking and being made merry and doing as they were as it was in the days of Noah. And so we understand the perplexion of our day already, where we are right now. We know it's not going to wax any better, but it's going to wax worse. So Noah lived in a very wicked day and a very wicked time. Yet the Bible tells us that he found grace in the eyes of the Lord in his generation. So here's Noah, a man that found grace. And the Bible says that he was a just man. That's notable. He was a man that was perfect in his generation. He was a man that walked with God. So we applaud Noah today. And Ezekiel applauds Noah for his righteousness because he was a just man. He's a man that walked with God in wicked times. He was a man that heard from God. He was a man that was spoken to of the Lord and said, build that ark in the midst of a desert where there hasn't been any rain. The closest thing he has to him is a river. No seas. For that matter, there's a good chance that he's probably not seen any rain in his lifetime. And here he is now building this great ark. And God talked to him even as he was in that building during his moments of frustration and struggle. He had a steady voice of the Lord that was in his time. So we applaud Noah today. What about Daniel? Daniel. Well, Daniel's taken into a Babylonian captivity into a foreign land. He's separated from all the influences of true faith. He's put in the surroundings of, there's just allurements of false gods and false religion. But the Bible says that Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the king's meat. The Bible describes him as having an excellent spirit, yet all around him was opposition. As a matter of fact, Daniel had the attitude that he would rather have a prayer life than life at all. This is the type of person that we're speaking of. That that Ezekiel said this is this is one of the three because of their righteousness. He served God continually. So here is a man. He he's very similar to Noah. He's in a position, in a place of opposition. There was struggle around him. He feels the heat of foreign gods, false gods upon his neck, yet he held an excellent spirit. And he prayed during times of opposition. So here's Noah, a man that walks with God in wickedness. Now here's a man that prays during times of opposition, who likewise hears the voice of the Lord. That's great. Now, what about Job? Well, the Bible says that he's perfect, says that he's upright, says that he feared God, he eschewed evil. But. We don't read anything of Job hearing from God until the closure of his trial. That's right. That's right. That is it. Noah heard God while he was building the boat. Yes, Daniel heard God in the middle of his opposition. Yes. But toward the closure of Job's opposition, that's when he heard from God. That's right. As a matter of fact, as his friends would try to sum, summarize why this was happening to him, as sometimes we do, the voice was being spoken. What have you done wrong, Job? The Bible itself, God gave his decree concerning Job that he was upright. He was perfect. This wasn't someone else's opinion. This was God's opinion of Job. He was perfect. He was upright. He feared God. He eschewed evil. The Bible says after he lost his, his livestock and his camels and his, his, his ten children, seven sons and three daughters, and after all this happened that he went down and rent his mantle and got down upon his face and he worshiped the Lord in the midst of his suffering. But where's the common denominator in all of this? I mean, Noah prepared an ark to the saving of his family. Job lost his family. Daniel, after his incidents of of praying and being delivered from the lion's den, he came forth and went to a certain level of social status and spiritual influence, but Job has lost all the loyalty of his friends, the support of his friends, even the support of his wife. So he's being stripped down. Each of these men, to a certain degree, are being tried and are in struggles and are being stripped down So here is Job, he's he's enduring in terrible hardship, and no doubt the question of why is entering his mind. you got to understand, at least Noah heard God speak to him in the middle of his trial. But Job doesn't even have that to lean on during his time of adversity. Daniel, the Bible says, whenever he went to Babylonian captivity, took copies of the Scripture, pieces of the manuscript with him. That he could read during that Babylonian captivity. So he heard from God, no doubt, even through his word. But Job, on the other hand, even lived before the giving of the law. He didn't have that to read. He didn't have that to look at. He didn't have no scripture. He didn't have no oral or written revelation from God. Amen. But he's considered just as righteous, just as upright as the other two. The thing about this is this. Not only did Job during all of this say, Lord, though you slay me, yet do I trust you? It isn't a story just about Job trusting his God, but it's a story about God trusting one of his people. Amen. It's about God trusting one of his people because the Lord was taking Job through this whole process of his struggle, his dismay, His adversity, his being reduced, if you will, to nothing more but just barely living for the purpose that he could ward off the trickery and the lie of the enemy that said that God's people will only respect and bless and praise God as long as God does something for them. Amen. He said, Lord... Uh, the enemy came in when the sons of man came before God the Bible says Satan came also among them and he spoke to the Lord he said where you been the enemy he said I've been here to and fro walking up and down he said have you considered my servant Job he's upright he's perfect he, he feareth God he sheweth evil and, and the, the enemy said does not Job fear God for naught?" he said you got a hedge around about him you have a hedge around about his things you have a hedge around about his possessions you take those hedges down and he'll curse you to his to your face he'll curse you God says alright I'll take the hedge down you can have control over all the possessions whatever he has and then all these series of events started taking place then the enemy comes back before the presence of the Lord amen I think he was a little, little bit uh, uh, upset because worship happened after all that took place in other words God didn't, wasn't doing necessarily anything for him or protecting him but God says I can trust him he's trusting me and I can reciprocate that I I can trust him and so, so all this stuff is taken away and the enemy says Lord skin for skin you let me touch his skin you let me take a hold of the physical attributes of his life and he will curse you I found this to be true in real Christian living that sometimes the enemy gets that first hedge down and he starts touching your possessions And your vehicles tear up and your washing machines spit out clothes and they eat socks and all these other things happening. And then before long, if that wasn't enough, something starts happening with your physical body. Amen. Something starts happening with your physical body. Because all of these other things happen and you still came to church and you still raised your hand. And you still came to church whenever you had to borrow a ride because your ride was broken down and you lifted both hands and you stood there and you danced and you shouted and you magnified and worshipped the Lord. And so the enemy now has went back into the presence of the Lord and he said, skin for skin. He says, all right, so now you are being hit by your physical body. Your fibromyalgia begins to flare up. Amen. Hallelujah. You, you, you have a hospital visit that takes you from Mount Carmel all the way to Evansville in a few days' stay, Sister Brenda. After you've already been healed of your gallbladder. Amen? And God what God is trying to reveal in all this, He says, Not only not only do I have a people that trust me, but I have a people I can trust. Amen. Not 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 only do I have a people that trust me, but I have a people that I can trust. So all of this is just taking place. It's a remarkable story. But whenever we get to the end of it, he says, you can have skin for skin, enemy. He says, You can have any dealings you want concerning his health. He said, but save his life. Save his soul. Save his spirit. Save his breath. That word light there means to breathe or literally breath. He said, you can have everything. Save. His breath yeah. everything's destroyed and he worships the Lord yeah. because worship concerns and we have looked at and generations of people looked at worship concerns not necessarily what God does for you but who God is and so all these things are stripped and he's still capable of worship yes, sir. Yeah. but he says you can do everything but save his save his life or his breath I want you to understand something he has been simmered down to barely nothing, folks. He don't have anything to bespeak of. He don't have any relationships to bespeak of. His own helpmate, she is already clocked out on him. Amen. He now has boils upon his body. You can read the description of the book of Job, and there are a whole lot more hideous things than just boils that was going on in his body. He was just being reduced to nothing. Listen to me. He was being reduced to nothing but, if I could say it like this, a breath nothing but a breath is all that he had I say that today to say this what's interesting about the book of Job and in conjunction that by the life of Christ that we shall be saved by the life or the breath of Christ that was first breathed into our spirits and to our souls the book of Job in our English Bibles come before the book of Psalms in our English Bibles in the Hebrew in the Hebrew writings of scriptures. It doesn't fall in that order. Job does not come before Psalms. But Psalms comes before Job. And in the closing chapters of the book of Psalms, chapters 146 through 150 are known as the Halil Psalms. It was Psalms that they would use for praise on the daily notion and in a daily way. Halil meaning praise. And so they were created at the conclusion of the book of Psalms. God's people calling upon God. But in that last Psalm, Psalm 150, that we have grown to love, and you've heard people start out services. Praise him in the sanctuary. And we used to hit cymbals and all that stuff on the organ and things concerning praise. All of these things come to a culmination of the very last verse of the book of Psalms that says, Let everything that hath breath, (laughs) everything that hath breath, praise the Lord, praise ye the Lord. In our English Bibles, Job precedes Psalms, but in the original manuscript in the Hebrew, Psalms precedes Job. Leading up, ladies and gentlemen, to a very climax with the last chapter and particularly the last verse that echoed. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. The enemy was already debunked because he thought how can a man worship God after all this had happened to him. But worship is just in regard about who God is. Okay, then how can a man praise the Lord? How can a man praise the Lord when all of this has happened to him? When his ten children are dead? When his camels and his livestock and all those things are dead. When his wife and his relationships are gone. When he's been boiled all the way down. His physical body has been touched beyond measure. And all he has, God said, save his life or save his breath. Because if he's left with a breath, he's left with a praise. Someone shout to God right now. If he's left with a breath, he's left with a praise and so whenever the psalm ends let everything that have breath praise the lord praise ye the lord in the hebrew scripture here came Job. all of his hardship all of his struggle all of his adversity but you done did something wrong i was left with a breath in my spirit i was left with some light in my spirit God, till this thing's all over, but He's given you a breath, He's given you some life to still issue forth, if you will, a praise. Hallelujah. Have you ever been in that place? You know, uh, things just happen, all of a sudden, you just a little cliche comes out your mouth. Well, at least I still have my health. (laughs) Well, you just open the door there. (laughs) Here it comes. (laughs) But you'll always be left to a certain degree with your life unless the Lord wants it to happen differently. But He's going to preserve that. He's going to preserve that breath. And in preserving the breath, He's preserving your praise. And as Bishop has told us for years upon years, in the Psalms, I think 22 and verse 3, concerning about the Holy One, inhabits the praise of His people. Bishop used to tell us, well, God lives then on the avenue of praise. Amen. He comes down, sits and abodes in praise. Not just that, there is another rendering of that Old Testament word, that old Hebrew word that says that he marries praise. <laughs> he's preserving something when he preserves your life, preserves your breath in your frustration in your trial because he's still giving you a mode by which there can be a union between him. Because see, in those times, you say, God, you're far from me. And those times you say, I feel forsaken. I feel forgotten. Where is God? He says, I've given you life. I've given you breath. And that's going to bring a praise. And I like to get married to praise. I like to get intimate with praise. I show up when somebody prays. Oh, yeah. He's always left the back door unlocked, can I say? In the midst of your struggle, in the midst of woe, he leaves an exit. So while you're feeling forgotten, he's afar off. God says, "I've left you with a little loophole here." Yes, <laughs> oh, hey, oh, yeah. man! I really need to run. I don't know if I can do this five-minute job here. amen so yes the life that was first breathed the importance of that life is more than just breathing for natural life it's more than just our spiritual life and it's life in our fixes and in our struggle and in our dismay when we're left with that breath That brings about praise because if I have breath I praise and therefore that brings God close near nigh, and intimate with me whenever I praise the Lord. Just go on, stand with me. I'll close there. Because if I start to try to go a little further we'll end up 100 miles from here an hour later. Can we just bow our heads in this place this morning? Because God's life has saved your life. And again, I have felt really burdened this week still yet for people in this assembly. Because I know that you are maybe in some of those episodes. God, here I am, but I don't hear your voice. You don't have the the benefit that Noah had. And you're like, God, I'm here, but... uh, It seems like even things that I read in your word, they're just not getting through to me. You have the scriptures, but maybe they're not just becoming alive to you like they did for Daniel. And you're the Job now. You're not hearing anything. All this happening, you don't even know why this is all taking place. While you're being boiled down and you're being seethed this morning, God's maintaining your breath. God's maintaining your life. You've already worshiped for who he is but in the midst when nothing per se coming from him is doing well to you. He's, he's safeguarded life for the purpose of your praise. Many times the praise is not just for who he is, but for what he has done. I'm still without a job. He's preserved your breath. I don't have the money for next week's bills. He's preserved your breath. Well, you said, Brother McGee, you're being insensitive. No, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to be insensitive today. What I'm trying to get to is this, that because he preserved that, he made a way whereby he can become intimate with you because he cannot deny praise. He cannot deny praise. Bow our heads in this place this morning. These altars are open. We'll close with this this morning, but these altars are open.